is you're not going to be perfect first go. And that's actually a really good thing because if you're perfect first go, the journey would be over. Like it's just, and you would lose so much in that journey. And so we learn um, from our failures, don't we? They're not failures. We learn from those things. That's that's what makes us better and and also, like you've said, appreciate the journey, really, and appreciate other people making that journey. You're listening to Fussy Cutters Club podcast, a show that gives you permission to cut into the good fabric so you can make quilts you love. And now your host, who believes it's not a crime to love using novelty fabrics, Ange Wilson. Welcome to the Fussy Cutters podcast. Today I am joined by Joe Westfoot from The Crafty Nomad. Joe's based in the UK, so we are Commonwealth buddies. Uh, Joe has an online quilt membership called the Quilt Hive membership, where she shares her patterns and her teaching and her awesome personality and her love of colour and rainbow and all things wonderful. Joe's not specifically a fussy cutter. I think personally. She's just waiting for the right moment to be a fussy cutter. She just doesn't know it yet. Uh, But Joe and I are off on an adventure this year for um, So Travelry. We're going to be cruising from Fort Lauderdale to London. And so I thought, what a great excuse to sit down and talk to Joe. And I hope you love Joe as much as I do and really enjoy getting to know her a bit more. Welcome, Joe. Thank you for having me. I know, it's like we've not been talking at all. Um, no. <laughs> so I think the best way to do this is we just have a conversation. Oh. So we were talking about small business. Now, how long have you been in business for? How long How long have you had sewing as a hobby? And then at what stage did you decide, I'm going to turn this into a business? Yeah, sure. So, gosh, let me think. I've probably been, I've been sewing since I was a teenager at school. So I learned. Last week. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Yeah. (laughs) I learned to sew when I was 14, I think. And, um, and liked it so much at school that they, my parents bought me a reconditioned uh, Frister and Rossman sewing machine. Oh, wow. So a second hand sewing machine. And I actually had that up until I was about 30 something um it actually came to australia with me so oh, wow. that was so it's well yeah, that was, it is that was packed into the container when we moved to australia and um probably i started when we were there so let me see that would have been when my daughter was about four three or four so uh we're talking 16 years ago okay so 17 years ago. yeah so i started sewing then at a local craft group we lived in a very remote part of australia where there wasn't a lot to do. <laughs> so um, Melia, all of Australia falls into that category. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah. So um yeah, so I joined a craft group and, and ended up teaching at the craft group as well a little bit, just basic sewing um and yep. some um, card making and things. So yeah, so it was really back then. And then goodness, we came back to England in it was 12 years ago, so 2011. And we'd been doing house renovations. So we'd been kind of full on into house renovations and everything was dirty and you couldn't do anything crafty, you know. And I was itching to start crafting again. And we just sort of managed to get a small area for me to to do some bits and pieces. Yeah, and I just, 
a friend, I think, really just encouraged me to start teaching over here, you know, yeah. and just to get back into it. And so that was the end of 2013, I think, I started teaching here. Yeah, beginning of 2014, probably, properly. So do you have a um, background in teaching? Because a lot of people I know in the industry were either like kindergarten teachers, primary school teachers, uh, teaching of some kind before they transition Mm. into. Yeah, kind of. And I say kind of, not really in teaching, although I have worked as a TA in, um, you know, primary school when my daughter was young. But before that, um, I used to work in human resources. So So teaching people how to behave. Yes. <laughs> what's appropriate? What's not appropriate? <laughs> writing policies, writing procedures, writing like handbooks, that kind of thing. So I, you know, I've had a background in that. I've had a background, I suppose, in standing up in front of a group of people and doing training, you know, delivering yep. basic training and things. So that side of things came quite easily. And I think that really helped in writing clear instructions. Yeah. Um you know, and with the pattern writing, um, that was really very helpful. And I think, yeah, not having that fear of being in front of a group of people probably stems from that time of my life, really. Yeah. So when you're teaching and you're having that person-to-person contact, so let me just do the math. Ten years ago, so the internet at that point would have been a thing, obviously, because yeah. you and I are both of that age group where the internet didn't exist and then it did. Yeah. And social media, you would have been at the cusp of when Twitter started and then Instagram. And so right at that beginning of where yeah, social so really media be- became a thing. Yeah. I'd say before social media, really, I, I think um, a good friend of mine in Australia who actually got me into patchwork, um, Lorraine, she was really into blogging and, yep. you know, looking at blogs. And I had never heard of what a blog was, you know, and so she kind of introduced me to blogs and I started a blog, you know, obviously, yep. you know. As we all did. You get down with the kids. Yeah. <laughs> and and the blog eventually turned into the business, you know. So yep. the blog was Crafty Nomad. And, you know, eventually when I started the business properly here, it just made sense to call it that, really. Yeah. That's how but, yeah, social media came along as well, you know. And then, you know, I was kind of late to the party with Instagram, but got there eventually. Yep. And now it's dead. So <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what everyone's saying. But um, yes, so <laughs> I guess you've had a gentle evolution into it as a business. Yes. Did you? Yeah, have I, would a- say that. I mean, the, the teaching in Australia was in a local craft group. So it was kind of just for fun, really. Yeah. You know, and then we came back here and I started teaching independently a little bit. But then I started working at um, a fabric shop. And so I was basically teaching five days a week um yeah. evenings well you know for about four years yeah three and a half four years so that was so, pretty full on definitely I would say that's where I really got the experience from in terms of teaching sewing and quilting yeah. and so I'm assuming that in the craft store fabric store you mm. would have seen and it handled every kind of question that anyone could put at you in a quilt shop and so I guess that that laid a foundation because one of the things I find and I've been doing some secret squirrel stuff in the background with your stuff it is really easy to understand and concise 
and you're preemptive of what's coming next. So you're taking people through, this is the start, this is how you go, but this is what's coming for you. I'm going to answer this question because I know once you conquer this, this will be the next thing. So did you think in your business that those skill sets that you developed in the store obviously have translated? Do you find it more difficult online or is it much of the same sort of thing? Is there... Was it an easy, yeah. smooth transition from in-person teaching to doing it online? Yeah. So I, when I left teaching at the shop, it was because I'd burnt out. Yeah. And so I kind of had a break, quite a long break, really. I say long. It was a few months. You know, to me, yeah. that felt It feels really long. long. Yeah. <laughs> and I think it was kind of in the May, July, I think July, probably I probably finished there. And it was really by the October, I was itching to do something again. And somebody had asked me to do a one-to-one class with them. So I did. And they wanted to do something Christmassy. And I ended up developing a pattern. And at the time I was thinking, oh, well, I could sell this pattern, you know. And so at that point, that kind of gave birth to the VIP Pattern Subscription Club, which I ran for about four years and it was basically a pattern a month, and then it was went to a pattern every two months because it was a bit much every month. But what I did with that was I started adding these video tutorials on a Facebook group. They were kind of just a bonus. They weren't yep. part of the package. They were just, well, if I have time, I'll do your video kind of thing to go along yep. with it. When I look back at them now, it was so basic, you know, there was no microphone, you know, it was yeah. so poor quality. But again, it was about learning, you know, for me in order to learn how to do that. And so I think that was really a worthwhile thing to do. So it was kind of like a gentle progression, I think, for me into this world. And it wasn't really until the pandemic happened and you know, my husband lost his job for nine months during the pandemic. And it was kind of a like, huh, right, what do we do now? You know, clearly something has to give. And it gave me the push that I needed in order to get fully online. And so, you know, I'd kind of had that experience. I knew I needed to fine tune things. I knew I needed to up my game in terms of, you know, my equipment that I was using. And, you know, some of the software in the background, you know, as you know, you know, you kind of need a platform to host things on. And so, you know, there's a lot of research that happened back then and it was worth it. You know, it was worth doing the, the, the research. So there were those kind of things. So that was the transition. And I think you asked me about the differences between, um, between it and how I kind of, um, communicate with my customers. It is different. There are elements that are harder, but in the mainstream, I would say it's better. Now, I'm particularly going to talk about my free motion quilting course at this point, because that was one of the first ones I took online because it was my most popular course that I used to run in person. And what I found with that was that because I was running it over four weeks as an online course with weekly check-ins, with pre-recorded content that people could watch when they wanted during the week. What happened is that the learning solidified so much better than a one-day in-person class. You know, after the period of four weeks, people really had grasped this and they were able to do that skill, you know, which was fantastic. However, there is one element of that class that I really miss being in person with them for. And it's when somebody can't get their tension sorted, okay? And they spend 
lot of time fiddling around with it and they're saying to me joe the tension's not right you know and they're showing me the pictures you know of, online of what it looks like yeah. underneath what it's up on top now if that had taken as long as it has in an in-person class first thing i would have done would have been to jump on the machine and check that it wasn't the person okay yeah. and check it's actually the machine yeah yeah because nine times out of ten with a beginner free machine quilting unfortunately it's probably the person yeah yeah because they're learning a new skill so right exactly it's a brand new thing it's hard to learn and they can get bogged down in those things that shouldn't be tentative steps right they don't i don't want um so not preventative steps it shouldn't be a barrier to learning i don't want there to be a barrier for them to learn and enjoy the process and so I suppose that's the only thing because it, it's not easy for me to jump on and say, no, sorry, but this is, you know, they'd be able to see if it's working yep. right if I'm sitting there doing it and they can see, okay, I need to now do this. So that's the only downside, I think, with that particular course. But on the whole, I would say that learning online this way is so much more beneficial. There's no rushing for people. Yeah. You know, I don't do live Zoom classes. All of my online teaching is pre-recorded. And so it's in a calm, methodical manner. It's step by step. It's small chunks. People can learn. So, yeah, I think it, we yeah. had a really good experience. And that's, I I mean, the pandemic was horrible because so many people suffered and, and loss of loved ones and all of those sorts of things. And I think you can't go back and change time and you can't stop time from progressing. And so we've been through this. And my thing with life is that I always try to take the Monty Python's point of view and look on the bright side. And so one of the great outcomes of the pandemic was that it accelerated this acceptance of online learning and it opened up a whole new world for people who were like you, ready to do the homework, ready to embrace it, to fail, because failure is a big thing, big thing, and ready to stick with it. And then to bring this learning option to people and bring them on this journey where they can do it in their pajamas at home. If you're like me, my hearing's going as I'm getting older, too much loud music, and <laughs> the ability to pause a teacher, to turn a teacher yeah. up and to rewind to a teacher. fast forward a teacher. You know, yeah. I'm told quite a lot that I speak really slowly, so lots of people actually listen to me on 1.25. <laughs> That's funny because... So I work with my mum who sits at the desk beside me and um, oftentimes I'll be watching YouTube videos to learn software or something or pick something up and I listen to it at times two and she's like, why are you listening to these chipmunks all the time? (laughs) I'm like, that's the great thing. I can slow fast. So that's it. You're right. You know, they've got more control, haven't they? over their learning and I think you know that being able to go back um you know and revisit something you know which they're not sure of you know months later you know potentially you know is such a good value to them you know it's so valuable yeah and I find with myself even I finish an online course and then I'm like yeah I got all of that I did that yep no worries I took notes and then when it comes to the implementing of it I often go back and pick up units out of the course and go, oh, I kind of remember what I was doing there, but I'll go back and and look at the source material. And so online courses have given us this ability to learn in manners that work for us. It's not a one one size fits all kind of situation where in a teaching situation in a classroom, 
oftentimes that teaching is dictated by the people that are in the class, the style of the teacher, you know, all of those things that control that environment. Whereas online learning, you get to pick a lot of times how you do stuff. I mean, you're still constrained by what the teacher's showing you and camera angles and all of that sort of thing. But I think the more feedback, constructive, polite feedback that you can give a teacher about, oh, I would have liked to have seen, you know, this angle from above or I would have liked to have seen how you press the back of it or something like that, they get better. But, yeah, so that brings us to the in-teaching. So um, we're all going away, God willing, in May next year and teaching on the transatlantic cruise. And it's a different environment again, and it's the first time you'll be teaching on a cruise. Is there something that that people get? I guess we've already covered that really, the tension. You get the hands-on experience in that classroom, and so yeah. you'll be bringing that with you Definitely. to the class. Do you have a motto or a defining principle for how what you like people to get out of a day with you? Oh, get over the fear of something and just give it a go, I think, is my overwhelming thing. And I I am thinking of free mission quilting, which is not what I'm going to be teaching on the cruise. But, you know, people bring all this kind of baggage with them to a class, you know, all their um, preconceived ideas or their hang ups on a certain thing or their fixed ways of, of doing things that they've been taught previously. And I suppose what I want them to get out of a class with me is that, um, you know, there are always multiple ways to do things for a Ooh, start, yeah. you yep. know, and um, be open to that. Um, but also just enjoy things, have a go, even if you're not sure if you're going to like it. Yeah. Which is a classic example, actually, for what I'm teaching, because I'm planning to teach improv curves, which you can <laughs> see behind me. And um, improv curves, when I learned it, I didn't want to learn it. I was going to a retreat and I did not want to learn improv curves. I was like, no, I don't like improv. I'm not doing improv because improv does, doesn't like me. I'm not doing improv. Yeah. And I did it and I loved it. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm I'm a control enthusiast. And so traditional patchwork really ticks all the boxes for me because it's defined and the points need to meet and it's crisp and it's lovely. And my parents, we share a property, two houses, and my parents live behind us, behind the studio. And in their old house, they hung like a lot of my quilts, like proud parents do. And when they moved into the new house, my mum was like, I think it's time for a new quilt. And I'm like, okay, here's, now we live in the same town. Here's the catalogue. You pick what you want. And she picked my only improv quilt and it hangs in their lounge room. And every time I walk in there, I like sit on the couch and I'm like, oh, that is just shocking. There's missing points. There. <laughs> and I'm like, of all the quilts you could have picked, why did you pick this one? And I seriously sometimes find myself just in there going, if I did this now, I would, all those flying geese would be the same size, the same. But I tried it and now when I look at that thing, I go, okay, this is how I would do that differently. This is the techniques that I've learned yeah. from that. Yeah. I I know that that's not a technique for me because of these reasons, whereas for you, you went, oh, I don't want to do that. But when you've done it, you've fallen in love with it. Um, well, I have, but I've fallen in love with it in in a way that perhaps isn't 
improv you know because what you'll see behind me is that they are cut in quite precise ways you know yeah, well I, I wouldn't have picked that I've used them in, yeah when I've looked yeah. at them in like glitterable where I've used the improv areas again they're very precise areas that they're cut into you know yeah. and so I think you can take a um a concept or a technique and still make it very unique to a individual or specific to you yeah. um what I was going to say just then when you were saying how you looked at that quilt and thought oh how would I do that differently now is I wonder actually if you've got time do it again but do it using the techniques that you want to use it so make that design right I know there's time right but like but make that design and do it again because I did this with um a design that I had made um years back when we were blogging yeah, there was a challenge online to make a cushion cover. It had to have a quote on it or something like that, right? And I made it. And so this was when Jade was about three, so uh, seventeen years ago, right? Yeah. And um, I made it, and I loved it. It was a rainbow. It was like ticker tape um, yeah. applique, uh, rough applique, and then some a quote uh, hand uh, embroidered onto um, a cloud, right at the end yeah. of the rainbow. Loved it. Anyway. I decided to remake that a number of years ago. Yeah. I don't know, years ago, eight years ago. And of course, I'd learned a lot within that time. And I love now, and I talk about it at quilt groups, seeing the two next to each other and how different they are because of what I'd learned. And I think you you might be able to get some benefit out of doing that because then you'd have a quilt that you really liked that was almost the same, but different, right? You know, and you could hang it in your front room. <laughs> well, I sort of did the same thing because when I started I took a beginner's course when I started quilting and at the third lesson, the teacher very helpfully suggested I should take up scrapbooking because my <laughs> piecing, like I went into that shop and I was like, oh, colour pattern, oh, and, and was just so enthusiastic about making stuff that I rushed everything and my points were off and order and I found the pattern for that quilt, which I never finished. After she suggested that maybe patchwork wasn't for me, I suggested she wasn't for me. And I went and found a different teacher who understood that I just needed corralling. Don't you think that's so disappointing? Yeah, I do in some ways. And then I wonder whether she was the teacher I needed at that point in time for what my journey was going to be and yeah like I do not recommend that's the kind of teaching style that you do I think you know fundamentally that was not the way to go but something in me reacted to her you can't do this so I wonder if she'd been different my journey would have been different and then when yeah. I found a really good teacher I appreciated the differences between that style and the teacher that I ended up clicking with. And, you know, that I look back on that teacher now having experience of teaching and stuff like that. And I think she was doing the best she could with what she had at the time. She was trying to do what she thought best for a student that she obviously saw struggling. And so I don't kind of hold any ill will to her. I think it's a funny anecdote now when I look back on it. Um, yeah, yeah. But I found the quilt pattern that she gave us at the start the other day when I was cleaning the studio and I'm like, I would love to actually go and make this quilt and finish it and have it there as a, I, like I made that. The problem yeah. is the pattern's really horrible. 
<laughs> and it's not a quilt that I would go, oh, yeah, I'd like to make. <laughs> I have limited time. If I spent time, would I make this? But yeah. I think it is no, a very there's no good point, is there, because you're not going to love it. No, but that's why I love 100 Days, 100 Blocks, because the first block, we see people post their first block and, you know, and women do it all the time and it drives me crazy, but they post their first block and instead of going, hey, I made this, it's got pockets, they go, oh, I made this and it's not right and I wish I'd done this differently and look at that. I don't like the colour, the points don't match, da-da-da, yeah. Yeah, and if they'd said nothing, People would just look at it and appreciate it for what it is. But their skill set on that first one versus their skill set on the hundredth one, yeah, polar opposites. And that's the yeah. thing that I think I'm a big advocate for practice, 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 and accepting, and it's a hard one for me as a control freak and perfectionist, is you're not going to be perfect first go. And that's actually a really good thing. Because if you're yeah. perfect first go, the journey would be over. Like it's just, and you would lose so much in that journey. And so we learn um, from our failures, don't we? They're not yeah. failures. We learn from those things. That's that's what makes us better. And and also, like you've said, appreciate the journey really, and appreciate other people making that journey and how hard it will be for other people as it has been for you, and therefore yeah. took up some slack, right? Yeah, and I think that's the to me that's where the gold is. Like if you you don't think about the stuff that you got right, you don't kind of lay in bed at night time and go, "Gee, I really nailed those points today." Go me. You sit in bed and you think, "Oh, that improv quilt is driving me batty. I'm going to go up there and cut it." You know that kind of yeah, that's <laughs> quite extreme. <laughs> oh, it just like I, I'm getting to the point where I'm getting a tick when I kind of oh, and my dad <laughs> is a um. Oh, I don't even know what the term is for it. But the two of us have the same same thing where we like things very ordered and neat and precise. Yeah. And he's like, one day I'm sitting there beside him, he just leans over and he goes, you did this to me on purpose, didn't you? And I'm like, what? <laughs> this is hanging in my lounge room and every time I come in here, I look. <laughs> I'm like, welcome to my world. At least you're looking at it and you're not understanding how you could fix that and why it look, I sit here and I think, oh, look at that seam, look at that, da, 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 and you just see the missing points. But, yeah, so it is one of those things. But I think this taps into something that I wanted to ask you about. Hmm. Why do you think you went, I can turn this into a business? I can do that. I'm going to have a crack at that. Like you said, in the pandemic, you had to do a lot of learning and upgrading and I'm not sure whether people fully appreciate just how much IT goes into making this all happen and how quickly that IT changes and develops and and as sole business operators, how much learning has to go into that process of... Yeah, it's huge. So, I mean, that that year... I, th- I would say from deciding to do it and then to doing it the year full year after that was painful. Yeah. You know, it was a steep learning curve. But I suppose I'd already started the business, you know, a good kind of four, five, six years before that, I suppose, in in, in Britain. And so the decision was already made. You know, I yeah. was going to be doing this as a, as a, um, a career, if you like, a business. In terms of that, I think 
having thought about it for a long time now, I can't work for somebody else. I can't yeah. go and, you know, report in at a certain time and do what I'm told because I will do my own thing. And, yeah. you know, when I've worked for other people, I've never felt like I've been properly compensated for the amount of effort I do. So I'd rather work for nothing, you yeah. know, working super hard for myself um, than, than do that. So I think that's my why I work for myself. I yeah. come from a family of, you know, not necessarily entrepreneurs, but a family of people who are self-employed, you know. So I think that's kind of in my veins, as it were. But yes, the learning curve is steep. And yes, you do have to wear all the hats, you know. And, you know, so many people often say to me, um, oh, you know, they just seem to expect that I have lots of people doing all the different things. And it's like, mm, no, my husband does my accounts and that's it. You know, yep. there was a time when I could bully him into doing a bit of um, subtitling for me when he was out of work. But those days are long <laughs> gone now, you know. So literally, it's me, you know, and yep. um, and it's a lot. Like you say, you know, to, to put an online course together, you are, you know, you're writing, you're, you know, designing. So you're writing and you're typing up all of your notes you're doing your graphics and you know your pictures and so you've got to be a photographer as well and graphic designer um a tech editor you know you've got to do all of those things you know and then oh then you get to make the thing yeah yep. <laughs> you've got to do that you know in slow and not motion just one please. version you have to make like a couple yeah you're doing it you're obviously recording as you go you know and having to record multiple things um you know and then once all of that's done you're then waiting to upload the videos you're then editing and cutting yeah. bits out tech um editing my videos you know figuring out the amount of times I do this don't even realize I do it yeah. do it at the beginning of when I'm talking you know those <laughs> things I can notice those now on the sound I don't even know what that graph's called there's like yeah a sound yeah 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 yeah, I can recognise when I'm going to say, um, you know. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> Easy to cut those out. So, yes, you're doing that. You're doing so much, you know, the subtitling, the loading up, you know, the formatting of the courses um, and all of that. So, yes, being a quilt teacher is, a for me, an online teacher is about all of that as well as then encouraging and communicating with my students and helping them through the difficult things that they don't understand. Yeah. Yeah, it we is a marketing. <laughs> no, or social media scheduling, or responding to emails, or shipping stuff, or yeah, like it just, yeah, like I've oh. I, we have such a similar story, but I've probably been in business as long as you, maybe a little bit, or I don't know, around the same time, and. This is the first time I've been able to have someone else come in and work with me. And I was very lucky. My parents ran their own business, were self-employed for all of my life. So they they mm. understood and had that. But the only reason I can afford my mum to work with me is because some weeks when the cash flow is tight, she'll, she'll not get paid. And she'll be like, I'm happy yeah. to wait. Whereas I would never do that to anybody else. So, yeah, right. um, and I think people just assume you've got this massive thing happening that you're coca-cola or amazon or and it's not i'm shipping department i'm it support mm. you know i'm the photography we do have a graphic designer who we oh i remember when i first got to a point where i could afford to get her on board and i was like thank you because <laughs> she brings such a, a great level of professionalism to our work and stuff like that but it's those things that we just creep forward incrementally yeah. Till we can afford someone else to help yeah. take some of that pressure Certain off. Areas, yeah. 
but you move that pressure to some, and then you have to pick up something else that you've been dropping, you know. And so mm. it's not like we're ever at that point where we're sitting on our yachts sipping Bacardi and... Gosh, that would be nice. <laughs> I burn easily. I don't know whether... <laughs> so do I. <laughs> I don't even like boats, actually. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, people are like, what would you do if you win a million dollars? I'm like, go to the fabric store. Maybe I'd go to a fabric store internationally. I don't know. You have one behind you. Yeah, I know. Oh, yeah, don't. <laughs> don't look at that. I look at, so this is really funny, right? And I guess it's that thing between being a hobbyist and being in business. We were very fortunate when we moved to this property that I now have a, a six meter by six meter studio, right? Where we can do everything. And it's great. And I love it. And I'm very grateful for it. And people come and visit the like visit the houses or come for dinner or something. And invariably they're like, What are you doing there? <laughs> and you're like, oh, all right, come in and have a look. And they're always like, Wow, this is amazing. Oh yeah, you're so professional and rah rah. Because obviously it's oftentimes cleaner than it is today. But I think when I look in here, I look at all the money that's sitting on those shelves that yeah, could right. have been in our house or feeding our kid or, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. all of that sort of stuff. And I think that's an investment of money and so yeah. and time and effort. Yeah. And I kind of go, that's the difference between being a hobbyist and a business is while I love collecting fabric and I love looking at fabric and I, I get excited by seeing it, that's dollars and that's Ooh. food from our table, our school yeah. fee, all of that sort of thing. And so that was a really hard swap Transition. for me. Yeah. yeah. And I, I see so many people and it really, it's a pet peeve of mine when I see on social media and everything where women are like, start a business and get a six-figure income and and do it from home. And I, I look like this and they've got, you know, makeup on and they're nice frock and the pearls and they're all like, look at my quilt I made with not a single hair out of place. And I think you are setting those people up for failure because that is not what it is. And no, this entrepreneur lifestyle that people aspire to, it's a load of crap. Like it's just, it's false advertising. And I think, yes, you can turn your hobby into a business and yes you can work from home and there's lots of upsides to it but do not be fooled that it is not hard work and there are not times when you were sitting at your keyboard crying because someone sent you an email where that was nasty because their download wasn't there when they expected it or and you're not you know frustrated at the IT not working when you want it to or how am I going to get the money together to buy a light so that people can see my work better or, you know, all of that sort of thing. And then it's not, it's not what people expect and then they get put off and they get angry that they were fed a lie. Lose yeah. their love for their hobby, yeah. And, and you kind of go, it's just, it's really, I don't know what the answer is to combating that and I, I yeah. get really... I don't know. I think it's just honesty, isn't it? It's, um, yep. you know, just reminded me, I think, you know, when I think years ago, you know, when sort of friends would say, uh, you'd show them what you'd made, for instance. Oh, that's beautiful. You should, you should make that and sell them. Oh, yeah. 
<laughs> oh yeah, been there, tried that many years at markets, you know, done that, done the thing where the people come up and say, oh, you could make that yourself, you know. Yeah. <laughs> They're saying that under their breath, you know. You could get this and, um, come up for $10. I know. Yeah. So, you know, you get all of those things and it's really hard. And so, um, yeah, I think, can't remember where I was going with this now, but it's, you kind of, you've been there. It's hard to do that. You know, friends have sort of, they think they're saying a good thing to get you to turn this side hustle into a business, but they don't really understand the fullness of the industry or, yeah. you know, whatever it is, you know. But um, yeah, I when as soon as you said how your friends come into the room, I, my room is at the front of our property. Yeah on a quite a well, it's a residential street but there is a school at the end of my road and yeah. so at school pickup times and drop-off times the road outside is very busy <laughs> people looking in must see my huge lights and wonder what on earth is going on in <laughs> we had we used to live in a house that had no front fence right so we are not like England the thing that blew me away when I went to work in Cambridge for a bit was that there's like the sidewalk and then the I'd house. Had, yeah, I'd forgotten that you'd been over here like that. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm in my lounge room and there's someone waiting for a taxi out the front talking to their drunk mate on the front. And you're like, there's no. Ours isn't, ours isn't quite like that. We've got a driveway in front of the house and then there's the pavement. But yes. And so we lived yeah. in this, we lived, the town, the city that we lived in previously to here had a town planning ordinance where you couldn't put front fences in. They wanted it to feel like a giant neighbourhood and so no houses were allowed front fences, which is in theory amazing but in reality horrible. And so one night I'm sitting at the machine filming and I am I used to sit in front of the window so that I'd have the natural light. Light, yeah. Yeah, but it was night time and so I had lights on and I'm filming and I look up. And there is a drunk man in my garden bed looking through the window watching me <gasps> and I pooped my pants. <laughs> and I made eye contact and he like stumbled out because <gasps> there used to be a pub around the corner and they'd walk past on their way home. Oh, that is and, just freaky. Right. And we ended up ringing the police and they came round. And the police like walk in our normal front door of our house and see a normal house and I remember this policeman who was like a brick outhouse but really tall and I was like scared of him and he goes to me can you take me and show me where you were and I'm like sure I'm like come here and I opened the door and this guy turned into a big kid he was like and what's this do and oh look I'm like Yes. The secret seller. <laughs> I think that's what the drunk man was thinking when he was looking through my window. <laughs> but it is that thing of it's different, it's unusual, and people don't expect it. I always know like when you go to school functions or you meet new people or anything and you're like, what do you do? And I'm like, why you do stuff online? And they don't kind of understand it. And then I know with our son when he tells other kids Mum works from home. They yeah. don't fully understand it. And then the kids come around and they're like, oh, you're on YouTube, that kind of thing. So it is a really unusual thing to do, but it's really empowering. It's that thing, I like, I like you. I couldn't work for anybody else. I have too many ideas. And so to be able to do that is such a real blessing. And, and I'm so thankful for that. And I'm sure you are too. Is there... Something that you wish you'd known 
before you started your business that no one told you that you kind of think, if I'd known that, it would have been different? Mm, Not really different, but I think it would have been helpful. Like right now, as we say, 10 years on, I have a great group of women that work in the same industry as me, all doing it slightly differently, but being a very supportive business network, you know, and if I'd had that from the beginning, I just feel like I would have felt so much more supported and not alone. And I think I went for years sort of struggling along without, I mean, obviously I had support from my family, but without that kind of support from people within the industry and didn't really know anybody in the industry. And, you know, was kind of just trying to do my own thing without any kind of network really. And I think having that network has been invaluable to me. Um, You know, having sounding boards, you know, uh, when I've got new ideas, is this going to work? I don't know. You know, what do you think? That kind of thing. Um, So, you know, even down to a new design, you know, for a, for a quilt, I'm not quite sure about whether this is going to fly or not. You know, I can say, hey, what do you think? You know, and get yeah. an honest answer. And so that has been amazing. So, yeah, I don't know if it's that's kind of where you were going with that, but that certainly would have been great. Yeah. Do you find, because yeah. um, we, similar thing, there's a group of us that sort of chat and share information and and just having someone who understands and even like when my mum, they ran their own business, but they were in a male-dominated industry. Yeah. And I used to help them out every so often and do IT support for them and stuff like that. And I would always go to, oh, I got this email today. And you'll you'll never understand. Like you would not believe what had happened. And I tell her about it and she would be like, oh, we don't get emails like that. And I, I'm sure she was like, you're making this up. Like, there's no way that you're getting this sort of stuff. And now she works here and I can hear her at times just chuckling to herself or getting really worked up. And I think she just read that email. <laughs> she just got that email. And I think for me, if someone had told me 10 years ago that you're going to have to work out how to deal with what comes at you through the screen and how yeah. to handle that and process that and work out a healthy way of dealing with that because I think for a number of years I've struggled with, you know, how do I help people without taking it on? And Yeah. Okay. So I think I – the way that I do this is I'm, I'm quite a blunt person, I've been told. I'm quite upfront and I'll say things as I see them. Um, and sometimes I can be that other person, right? I can be that difficult customer, right? I know I yeah. can because I can feel myself doing it and kind of have to wind myself in a bit, you know? Or when I'm writing a reply to an email, I'll just dive straight in without the thank you for your email and I'll have to yeah. put that in afterwards, right? So I'm definitely more of a more say it how it is kind of a person. And so I think that serves me well when I'm on the receiving end of them because I just, I think I tell myself, you just got to have a thicker skin. You yeah. just got to you know, think this is not about you, even if they have said something specifically about your way of teaching or your way. It's not really about you. It's about how they've responded to it and how they've um, experienced something within your business or, you know, your teaching. For me, it's teaching, you know, might be, I don't know, customer service for you or whatever, you know, it could be anything to do with that. And you kind of have to take yourself out of the equation a little bit and 
kind of try and I do try and put myself in their shoes, you know, yeah. and say, well, you know, as as sometimes I am a difficult customer, how would I have felt being that person, you know, and have they got some valid points, you know, yeah, and yeah. actually even when they're being really unreasonable, you know, and you think, mm, actually, no, I think you're wrong. You can still take something away from that and learn. There's yeah, we, always learning points. You know, I can always improve little bits of little areas of my business, even when it hurts, you know, yeah. a little bit to say, no, nah, you might be right. You know, you know, you can still draw something from that and say, mm, I can actually do that better. We often play the how did they get here game. So <laughs> if someone sends you an email and they're they're obviously upset about something that's happened, we do the thing where we're like, all right, how did they get here to this point where they've sent this email and mm. what can we change in our, what we call our front end, that yeah. changes that experience for them so they don't, don't get to this level of frustration or they, and yeah. um, while I think there's no excuse for not being polite, I think... Um, sometimes that thing of what has led them to this misunderstanding. What because communication is a two way street, and so if they're at a point where they're sending, and I'm talking about the frustrated emails, not the, the emails you get that are just like personal attacks or just rude, but the stuff where they're like, you know, I thought I was getting this, but I got that, and you're like, yes. Oh, okay. How did you get to that point where you thought you were getting yeah. A, but or I have I not written down? Yeah. yeah. Or what can I change on the the website or the photos or my explanation yeah. or my language to make them? And so I think you're right. There is that thing of you have to be dis like removed from it, yeah. stand back and have a look yeah. and see. Um, sometimes I think I've just had to learn to laugh at it and not at the person who sent it or anything, but just at the absurdity of the situation and yeah. the fact that it is just quilting. Like it's not, we're not curing yeah. cancer. No one, in no. theory, no one should die doing what we do. You know, like all of those sorts of things. And sometimes just that release of having a good chuckle at the fact that we're getting so kind of, <laughs> but yeah, it's just, and I found that group of women really good for going back and going, hey, you might be too close to this. Uh, just um, step back a bit and have a look. Or to go, oh, yeah, that happened to me. You know, this is how I dealt with it. Or to go, and I don't think people realise how small the quilting community is where someone does something. There's been a rash of people who've ordered stuff and then wanted, demanded refunds or whatever. And, oh, really? Um, we had a couple, we had one lady who'd bounced from one one designer to the next, but we, oh. we'd we all recommended each other. And so she went from one to the next to the next. Oh, wow. And so we were able to go, oh, yeah, I had her last week. So that's what that happened there. And so when the next person got the email, they were already worded up about what was going to happen, how, how the exchange was going to go. And so there is that preemptive thing there as well. But on the flip side, we also have a thing where we can go, hey, I just got this customer and they just did this and this was amazing and I think they'd really benefit from you. Can you just drop in an email and say, you know, Ange passed you on da, 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 and said you did this. I I've got this and this this could help you get to this next point and or we've had we do brags silent brags where we'll send a photo that our customer has made something and posted it on Instagram and go, hey, look, 
look what yeah. this person just did. Or the other one where they go, hey, I just saw this, this person made of your thing. How amazing is this? Did you see it? And so it is that thing. I think women building up women and supporting women, you know, and it is a it is a difficult thing to do at times. And I don't know about you, but do you find having an abundance mindset where there is enough to go around and that if we help each other, we're just going to get more. It's not, yeah. I help yeah, you with the sure. expense of me kind of thing. Um, yeah, but you know, um, what is it? There's that um, phrase, isn't there? Someone used it recently, um, the rising tide. Oh, we're back to boats again, Joe. <laughs> back to boats. Oh, we're back to boats. And you know what? Boats, cruises, we're going on a big boat. Big, big boat. Yeah, but it's a luxury boat. Like it's yeah, a, and it's I've, not I've been on I've been on a boat that big. I'm good on boats that big. I'm not good on small boats. I'm good <laughs> with boats that come with a buffet. I'm like <laughs> <laughs> That's my key. <laughs> you want to get me on a boat? How big's the buffet? <laughs> But yeah, I do. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is that thing of we all rise together. And I think yes. um, it's a really interesting concept because I think sometimes they pit small businesses against each other and it's that mindset of I can't succeed. And I mean, like Amazon, if you look at the Amazon thing, they succeeded at the cost of everyone else around them. Like they mm. just wiped people out. And I think sad and that's not necessarily the business model that that you want to have and i and i'm really grateful in the craft industry that that's not the prevailing yeah right. attitude and i think yeah. one of the things i love about being in a classroom is that students if you can set up the environment in a classroom where students feel comfortable sharing everyone gets to see how different everybody is but we all still work together in that room and it's that mm. thing of, you know, that Helping person can like, yeah, that person can like a pattern or a print that you don't, that doesn't yeah. diminish what you're doing and it doesn't diminish mm. what they're doing. You all coexist and the world is better because the, of um, the group, um, the group of ladies I was telling you about earlier, we've um, done two collaborations together in the last couple of years, the British Thoreau um quilt we call it and it's basically yep. we will each design a row and um it can be used independently or together to make this quilt right and at the very beginning there were five of us um did the first one and when you look at our styles they're all very different and when you look at the skills that we use they're all very different yeah and you know, what we worried about how that would work and you know it complemented each other each other so perfectly you know it yep. was such an amazing um we've we've made two amazing quilts you know from from doing that um that just sit so well together and um yeah i just i think sometimes the worries are irrelevant they evaporate you know they're not they're not real problems you know no and it's um it's one of the things that i think that keeps me excited about patchwork and I don't quilt. And so I always find it really hard to go, I'm a quilter. I'm a patchwork enthusiast. That's what I do. I work with someone who's the quilter because that was a skill set that I'm like, I don't have the brain space to learn that skill set. There's just so much in the patchwork colour pattern space that I want to do. Mm -hmm. 
that I don't have the capacity to do both. But I'm just like, every day I see something different and something new. And I am inspired by what what everyone else is sharing. And I think um, it gets back to that thing that we should just share it and go, I made this. I This is, I made this. <laughs> and not go, I made this and this doesn't meet and this in a minute and then right. in a minute. And like that quilt in my parents' house, I would never introduce that quilt to anyone and go, this is the quilt I made and I hate it. <laughs> but don't look at this bit and don't look at this bit. I'm really happy with the colour in this quilt, but don't look at the construction of what I've done with this quilt. I would just go, it's my quilt. And so it's something I've had to be really mindful of. Do you know when someone yeah. gives you a compliment, say, Joe, that quilt behind you is really beautiful. Thank what you. is your first response? Exactly, right? Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. I worked really hard on it. It's got pockets. <laughs> but like you say, in reality, that quilt behind me, love the fact that I've done my curved piecing, love the fact that what you can't see, but all around the edges, I've done free motion quilting and it was one piece of work though where I'd wanted to really work on my free yeah. motion design. So love all of that. Colour graduation, not so happy with. You know what? But you can't have it all. No. <laughs> you can't have it all. And you learn as you go, right? Yeah. And I've been stood next to people who've won best in show at some big, big shows. And you listen and to them talk about their work. The rest of the crowd is standing there going, ooh, ah, look at that. And they're going, oh, yeah, I, I could have done that better. Or I'm glad the judge didn't see that bit. Order, And you're and like... I think I think in one respect, that's really negative, you know, like we've just said. But in the other respect, I think it's also quite healthy that actually we can still see areas where we want to improve and push ourselves forward a little bit more. You know, it's just not allowing that that kind of knowledge of the improvement areas to turn into a, a really negative voice to say you're doing rubbish when actually you're doing really well, you know, and you yep. can also do, you know, um, I think it's just about, yeah, changing the dialogue really into something positive. Yeah, and I had a, um, we call them a renter friend, but I had a therapist once who said, because oh, I was, that. well, she was, she was like the person I would go and tell everything to. I was like, I rent at you as my friend. Um, but she once said to me, because I really struggled with negative self-talk, and she said to me, would you talk to a friend like that? Yeah. And I was like, no. And she's like, well, why do you talk to yourself like that? Yeah, no, and exactly. I'm like, okay, that's pretty powerful. And I think the, the it's the same. If we get into a habit, I think it's choosing your audience, right? If you're standing at a quilt show and your quilt's hanging there and and random people are commenting on how beautiful it is, you just say thank you. Thank you, yeah, I really loved this fabric or I'm really happy with how this turned out, da, 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 da. If you're standing with your bestie who's known you for two decades and has seen you come up through the ranks and has seen how you started and where you're at now and they I go, see. I really love this. <laughs> I really love this quilt. And you go, yeah, I do I do too, but um, next one I'm going to do this differently or the next yeah. one I'm going to do that differently. And it's that choosing your audience, recalibrating it from a, I didn't do that right, so therefore I'm a failure to that's my opportunity that's coming down the road 
to do something exactly. else differently. Yeah, yeah. Um, because, in fact, talking about that and opportunities. So quilts behind me, I put them up there for a reason because there was rainbow loveliness behind me before this call. And I know you would have preferred the rainbow loveliness up there. And oh, no, I'm partial to blues and greens. <laughs> okay, that's good. That's good. But I put them there because they were the inspiration for what I'm going to be teaching on the cruise. Yep. But learning from that, I don't want to do them those colours. I'm doing them in sunset and sea colours. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and right in front of me today, I've just recorded a little video on how to choose colours. You're going to really like this. Oh! <laughs> yeah, okay. I'm down. There you go. I'm down. So, that little bundle of loveliness is going to be sewn into a circle yep of improv curves so not exactly like those but yeah in my head I'm like all right I gotta make time to go to Joe I who can cover my shift so that I can sew in Joe's class and not a teacher's assistant in Joe's class but yes but the colors the thing I always struggle people go what's your favorite color and I'm like oh I love them (laughs) brown and so mm-hmm. I'm like, this, oh, the right brown. I've become a big fan of the right color brown. And the first quilt I ever won first place for had a brown background. And I'm like, and I just, I remember the judge at the time going, this is such an unusual choice. And I'm like, well, it's a mistake because when I was in the shop, that actually looked like a light gray. <laughs> when I got it in the light, it was more like a mushroom color. I get it, I get it. There's one of the Konas, which is just like that. It's called Ash or something. It's yep. one of the Kona colours and you think it's a grey and then you're like, mm, actually, it's more of a brown. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that little mistake turned into something really lovely. And so you just have to roll with it. But, yeah, I I think picking the colours, seriously, it's one of the best best bits of what we do. But, yeah, you've certainly... There's something about that progression from like a dark purple through the pinks, the oranges, and then into the, and I'm like. You see, and I don't like orange, but I've got three oranges in here. See, well, Sam Hunter, who's doing our London. He loves orange. Oh, loves orange. Um, He's doing the, the London tour, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And last time she was in London, which was like only a couple of months ago, uh, she went to the antique textile company, which we're going to, and yep. Christopher Wilson Tate had an orange and white antique Lone Star quilt, I want to say. Oh, yeah, and I he, think it was. I think I saw it. Yeah, she posted a photo with it, him and her. Yeah. And, this, and I'm like, trust her, man. She goes other side of the world, and if there's an orange and white quilt, she will find it. Like, it's not. <laughs> but she leans into that. Right, that's she loves orange. She's unabashedly orange. I think her car's orange. Like it is orange. It she's is. an orange fiend, and I love that. I love that. I know that she loves that, and it sparks such. Oh, borrow that horrible phrase. It sparks such joy in her oh, work. That's a lovely phrase. Oh no, because in my head, I'm like, I imagine someone holding an old pair of socks, cleaning out their wardrobe. Going, Do these spark joy? <laughs> I've never done that. There's a technique, right, for clearing out clutter. See, I've not done that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the Mary, is it Mary Kondo? Mary Kondo? Yeah, Yeah, it does this spark joy. 
<laughs> no, it sparks the smell of old footy socks that should have been thrown out three years ago, but he won't part with them. But, yeah, it's that thing of she really, it lights her fuse. Like she gets really yeah. excited about it. And I think, and Rainbow, like I, you know, Christy Lee from Quiet Play Designs, yeah. we've often had conversations about is there such a thing as too much rainbow? Mm-hmm. And you're like, no, if it makes you happy, yeah. rainbow I because I um I only have rainbow in this room. Yeah. So the rest of my house does not have rainbow in. And partly that's because, you know, my husband is not as rainbow loving as me. Yeah. <laughs> I feel um, your pain, sister. Partly it's because it's all about the sewing and that's kind of where it is. But I think um the rainbow thing started when I was leaving Australia and coming back to England where everything is grey. Yeah. <laughs> and there's no blue sky very often, you know, and the sun doesn't shine that often, right? Yeah. So um as I mentioned before, it's in the middle of nowhere in Australia. I was properly up in the desert, you know, and yep. so I think the first time we lived there for two years, I think it rained three days, and that was when a cyclone came through. The rest of the time, there was just blue sky, yep. 45 degrees, you know. <laughs> yeah, I'm familiar with it because we're up that end as well. Yeah. But, um, You're on the other side, aren't you? Yeah. we. Yeah. I have this theory that colour and the sky is different in Australia. and it's different in the UK and it's different in America and there's similarities but everywhere. I mean, we're the same, same, but different. But Australians tend to have this really odd relationship with colour where, like I worked in a public service town, so everybody wore black, grey, you know, office suits, all that sort of stuff into work. But if you went to their houses, they just had colour all through their houses. Like it wasn't, they weren't afraid to have like a loud colour couch or a loud colour this. And so when we travelled, I I don't tend to dress in greys now because I'm not in that office. I tend to dress in whatever colours I like. And when we were on the ship, lots of people were like, every day I see you, you're wearing something else bright and colourful. And I'm like, yep. And they're like, we don't do that where we're from. And I'm like, dude, it's colour. You've got to do colour. But I wonder. Mine mine will go on the seasons. My wardrobe will depend on the seasons. So in the summer, it will be very bright colours. And yet as soon as we get to like September, October, that's it. All the dark colours come out. So all my winter clothes, look, I'm wearing dark green. Either dark green, dark navy, you know, so it's all dark. And so, yeah, but in the summer, bright colours everywhere. Yeah, see, I wonder if it's just um, like an environment thing. So I I wear the I'm just this shirt all the time, which has my patchwork blocks, yeah, and then yeah. my patchwork oh, yeah, rainbow at the bottom. Lovely. And I like I go out, and you would think this would stand out like the proverbial, but everybody here is wearing bright coloured shirts, Larry Sun shirt. We live in the tropics, so they're all wearing like tropical shirts and stuff like that, and so. I wonder if that colours, pun the pun, our work. Like, and it's always interesting if you ever get the chance. And I'm sure you've been to quilt festival in um, in the UK. But yeah. when you go to festival in Houston, for example, and you see those amazing quilts, the difference in the use of colour as you walk through the hall and have a look at everything is really striking and you can sort of, to a certain extent, you could play the which country are they from 
game oh, as you walk through because okay. the Japanese have a very, very set colour aesthetic and then, I mean, there's always exceptions to the rule, but yeah. there's like that and then the American traditional stuff has a very set vibe to it as well. Yeah, yeah. The American modern stuff has a real, and so it's a, it's always really exciting to see how other people use colour and um, yeah. how that influences think, their work. Um, yeah, certainly I don't think I've seen the difference necessarily in colour between different um, uh, countries and the entries coming into Festival of Quilts, but I've definitely seen differences in style. Oh, yeah. Um, and how the quilts are um, actually constructed. There's some really interesting quilts that come from like mainland Europe over and you know, just seeing some of the construction techniques is really fascinating. I just, yeah. I've loved it. So, yeah, it's been, it is wonderful when you go to, um, you know, a quilt show where they have got, you know, um, international entries have come yeah. in. It just, it's so much more fuller. But that's know, the thing, like we're going on this cruise and the ship has an art gallery. <laughs> it okay. blows my mind. It has an art gallery on it, right? So <laughs> if you're just killing some time and you want to go spend some money and go buy some art, <laughs> but they have an art focus that there's art hanging in the ship, there's okay. sculptures all around the ship, all that sort of stuff. And you can go do in the gallery uh, art gallery section, they put on art history lectures okay. and you go learn about, like the last one we were on, they did Kadinsky and, you know, like okay. so you can go and learn the artsy fartsy stuff about it yeah but while they're doing that in the art gallery we're doing it in class and so yeah. like there'll be 20 to 30 women men in there and they each student and this is my selfish thing about teaching each student teaches me something different because they see something different and they yeah. bring something different and the um yeah. it's the, the one- skills they picked up over time and yeah and it's the thing with 100 days, 100 blocks, it's totally, people are like, oh, you're so lovely for running this for us and you give us this platform to do this. And I'm like, dude, it is totally selfish. I just want to see different, the same blocks in yeah, different yeah. styles because every year without fail, I learn something new about colour and print yeah. placement and people who go, oh, I know the pattern was written this way, but I made it this way instead and and so it's that excitement that you get from, and that to me, that's the only, that's the reason I do what I do. It's because we all get to nerd out on, you know, all of that sort of thing. And it's the thing that I'm really excited about with the teachers is, for example, you're doing improv curves. Yeah. Curves scare me. Like, and improv does, by the sounds of it. Oh, no, improv doesn't scare me so much as it just flicks my switch for I can't, I can't let go. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> I can't take that running cannonball leap into the pond of improv. So the curve thing, I'm like, I'm really excited to see how you do that. And then Teresa's teaching a disappearing patchwork block technique. And I okay. think... I'm really excited at the concept of, like, I get people go, oh, you buy fabric and then you cut it up and sew it back together. That seems kind of weird. But Teresa's taken it to the next level where she's like, you buy the fabric, you cut it up, you sew it back together, then you cut that up and you sew that back together. Yeah, right. (laughs) And so I'm like, all right, that's going to be an interesting, because then the placement of fabric takes on a new dimension because you have to 
yeah. think about that's how it looks here, but when I slice it, what's it going to look like there? Be, yeah. Stephanie's teaching triangles, which, okay. yeah, I'm like, and not, I don't think it's triangles like 60-degree triangles or 45-degree okay. triangles. I think it's triangles like HST's quarter yeah. square triangle. That's going to be right up your street. Yeah, you would think, yeah. right? Yeah. But she's teaching, so I use a template method. She's teaching a um, a whole heap of different, like eight okay. at a time, two at a time. Okay. Yeah. That sort of stuff, which I'm excited to learn to see whether I think the way I do it's really fast, but I'm wondering yeah. whether her method's gonna be faster. And so I'm I'm a bit like you where I kind of go, to me, patchwork is you use the skill that gets you the result you want in the parameters that you want, just because someone says this is how you do that doesn't mean that is how you do that. So you should have a wide range of skills in your arsenal to pick and choose from. But, yeah, so she's going to do that, and I think that's going to be an interesting. She's probably the person in the group who's most closest to my wheelhouse. Okay, but she has a completely different take on it. So... Now, but I have seen your teaching. You've seen mine? Or yeah, you've seen, I've seen your picture of what you're going to be teaching. Yeah. 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 I'm really, and there's curves in what I'm teaching. So yeah. you're going to love that bit. You're going to embrace it. Well, I've had to practice, right? Because it's no use me standing up in front of the class and going, yeah, this bit really, eh, don't do this bit. I've had to do it. And so I've been researching different techniques for how to achieve the look. And i got to say, the thing that I found that works for me is having a different foot on the machine. Okay. And, and so that's, I don't know, where, do you do this? I compensate for how dodgy I am through, like I'm not renowned. I will do, I'm much better now, but 10 years of practice will do that to you. Because I'm so fast in the, I want, to get, I want it done now. Sometimes my seam suffers because of it. Okay. And so um, I found having a foot that compensates for my tendencies behind the wheel has made a massive difference to my curve sewing. So I, I actually am a little bit, from what I've heard, I do something a little bit unorthodox when it comes to my foot. So I piece pretty much entirely with my walking foot. Ooh. I don't oh. use my quarter inch foot. So and I get a far better finish using my walking foot on every bit of sewing that I do, basically. Is I wonder if that's a um a controlled tension like a controlled feed. It does, but it's not um it's not the even feed. It's, it's not the dual yeah. feed where it kind yeah. of stops in it's a proper walking foot. And I just think that I'm looking down at the machine, hasn't got the walking foot on there right now because I've been doing decorative stitches and I need it nice and wide. <laughs> so I've had to switch that one off. But the walking foot is almost always on the machine and because it just gives me a much better finish. So it's not going to, um, you're not going to have, say you've cut your some of your fabric on the cross grain, some on the straight grain, you're not yeah. going to have any kind of stretching happening between them if you're using a walking foot, whereas you might get that if you're using and a regular foot. as a fussy cutter, that is like a big deal for me because I never I remember Marty when I first started working with Marty and she was like you've got to be aware of the bias and the grain and I'm like the what and the what now 
<laughs> she was like, this is why you're getting stretch on those triangles. And I'm like, huh? <laughs> so I'm, a, yeah, maybe that's, maybe that's what I need to be doing instead. Um, okay, but like I said, I've 10 years of sewing. I've learned the tricks to compensate for the fact that I yeah, need to be gentler with you my kind of, You know how you work, don't you? You yep. know, and you and, and your machine, you get to know the intricacies of your own machine and how it works best with you. So, yeah. But that's the thing too in classroom. Everyone's like, oh, you're the teacher in the classroom. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm the person up the front, but I'm there to learn too because, and the last cruise was great for it. I've only been sewing for like 11 years some people in your classes have been sewing for 50 years. This isn't the first time they've seen something go wonk. They will often have the technique that you go, oh, you could try this or that's happened because of that order. And so I find I like a classroom that's collaborative where everyone's safe to go. And we do it at the start. We go, look, if you're happy to receive advice, put your hand up. If you would rather just be left to do your own thing, put your hand up now. Like, so we identify people in the classroom that are happy to have a discussion about it. And then for some people, and I totally get it because when I'm, when I'm in the zone, I don't want people going, oh, you could do that better by this way. And so those people that are just, they just want to do their thing and they're happy and they can't take on more at that time. And so they need their space and that's great. But that thing of, just because I'm the person up the front doesn't mean that my way is going to work for you. And you feel um, like a facilitator. Yeah. And I think on the cruise, the other good thing about it too is in my class, if I hit something and one of my students goes, Oh, that's this is, you know, I'm having a problem with this, and I can't give them a solution that works for them, there's three other teachers that I will go to and go, hey, Joe, this person's doing Happens this. Or whatever. Yeah. Could you come in and talk to them about this for me, please? Could you, you know, Therese, you do this kind of thing. Could you come in and have a look and talk to this person? You know, Steph, mm-hmm. can you come in and share this? And and to me, I think that's the benefit of doing what we're doing. We only sew on C days. We're not competing with anything else. Our classes don't compete like we're not up against each other. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Everyone gets to attend the same classes. And so it's that ability to go in and go, all right, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get a little bit from you and a little bit from you. It's like a buffet of teachers. Everything <laughs> comes back to the buffet. <laughs> I just think it's really nice that you, they can do so many classes, you know, within that time and have access to the sewing room to continue, you know, sewing if they want to carry on, you know. So, yeah. you know, when the class is finished, you know, do they want to finish or do they want to carry on, you know? Yeah. So, and to have a machine tech, I'm really excited about the machine mm-hmm. tech because it allows the teachers to teach and it means that when the guys turn up to the class, those machines are going to be working. And if they have an issue that in the class, there's a dedicated person to fix that issue. We don't have many issues with the machines, but you know there's always going to be one where you kind of go, that's the troubled child of the class. And so to be able to swap it out and go, here's a new one, the machine tech's worked on it overnight, it's fixed, and I think that's a real luxury. I wish that every class came with that. So, yeah, it's just I'm really excited about the possibilities. And then you, because you're in the UK, 
when we get to yeah. Southampton, you get home turf advantage. And so I'm really excited to see people fall in love with you on the cruise and then you get to go to them. Welcome to my home. This is. Yeah. Well, funnily enough, I, I grew up in Southampton. So our disembarkation port is my hometown. hometown. Yeah. That's very cool. Yeah, yeah. One of the pictures you posted, I thought, yeah, I've walked right by that millions of times. <laughs> One of the pictures I posted on the website, I got this really lovely email from a lady and she's like, I can't go on the cruise, but I just like to say that's the lighthouse in somewhere else, not where you said oh, that really? lighthouse was. And I was like, oh. <laughs> I need to send her an email and go, thank you. And uh, I knew that when I did it, I was like, guaranteed, I'm going to put a photo on here yeah. that's, yeah. Portland, so, Portland Bell is um, where we're going to be docking, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And it just the history. Australia has a long history. I mean, in our First Nations people, and then we have a very short, in the span of time, history of colonization. And so, when I first went to the UK, it was an interesting experience to go. You know, this building's been here longer than the Europeans have been in Australia. This, and yeah. so that. That sense of time and my, my yeah, my dad lives in a house thing that was built in the sixteen or seventeen hundreds. Like it just <laughs> blows my mind. Can you imagine if someone like I've got a quilt that was made in apparently in eighteen o two, right? And it blows my mind that a woman made this. I assume it's a woman made this quilt in eighteen o two, and here I am on the other side of the globe with her quilt, like and. I think imagine to make something that lasts for centuries. Like I can't Did even. You, have you ever seen? There's. Um, I just read a book um, about the Raja quilt. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you, yeah, yeah, in Victoria, Did you yeah. seen that? Because that's still yeah. in existence, isn't it? Somewhere yeah. in Australia. It's in Canberra. No, it's in. I think from memory, it's in Victoria. But there's okay. a documentary that's coming out. Soon, and if I can find the link to it, I'll put the link in the thing. Um, there was, um, oh, that'd be good actually. There was a book written, like a fiction book, based on what might have happened and how it might have been made, uh, which I read recently. And um, another quilter in a British quilter, Sarah Ashford, has been doing a talk about it, and it was yep. fascinating actually. Yeah, yeah, well, they're putting apparently it's supposed to live in Tasmania, and okay. so this documentary's come out about lobbying to have it gifted back to Tasmania. Okay. Um, and I think the documentary covers who made it, how, okay. like, because from memory, it was made on the ships, wasn't it, coming across yeah. Yeah. from Europe, London, yeah. Okay. But, yeah, but then, like, a friend of mine had a collection of just little panels of quilts that have been cut up that were made by soldiers in the trenches. And so they were stitching and sending them pieces back home and stuff. And I think quilting has such a therapeutic. Yeah. And a, a long history of being in yeah. homes and in lives and families, but it's not a in your face. It's just pardon the pun, part of the tapestry of life. Like it quilts yeah. have always been there. People like, and I know us. Like, I made a quilt specifically for our son when he was like six months old, 
because I was planning ahead, where I'm like, I'm making this quilt for the days when he's home from school sick and he can have this specific quilt on his bed and that's his sick day quilt, right? And it's a Katie Jones, who I'm a ginger monkey. Yeah, she yeah. The blog. It was her scrap mm-hmm. vomit quilt, so it's like all just odds. There's like a 1,200 pieces in this quilt and only two of them repeat in fabrics, right? And so I wanted to make him something that he could look at when he was in his bed because he won't have screens. If he's homesick from school, there's no screens. That's the rule. And so it tickled me to think he will have this quilt, which in hindsight he's going to associate with being sick. But No, he'll associate it with comfort. Yeah, like it's that thing of he's got that. And in years to come, I hope, God willing, if that's what he wants to do and he has kids himself, that they can use the sick yeah. day quilt to, you know, and they're just they're just there in life, part of life. Mm. People have these experiences with them. They're there. They witness stuff. And then in two centuries' time, some oddball on the other side of the planet can have Might that. Run. Yeah. And I yeah. just, it just blows my mind. And so it comes back to that thing of, I don't look at that quilt from 1802 and go, gee, that lady didn't match that point there. All those panels don't match that colour. Don't you wish, don't you wish that that quilt had a label on the back telling you about why she made it and how she made it? And you know what? I never label my quilts. I, I got really to the point. To yeah, I was the same. And then um, Elizabeth Hartman, I'm pretty sure it was Elizabeth Hartman, did a, a thing a number of years ago where she was like, I don't label my quilts, but I do my binding in a specific way so that art historians or whatever can go, well, that's an Elizabeth Hartman quilt. Because oh, wow. <laughs> her binding. Yeah. Okay. I'm pretty sure, and I apologise, Elizabeth, if that's not how, but she slices in a piece of different fabric in and puts it okay. in a certain space. And, and I thought that's a really clever way of yeah. doing it. I ended up ordering woven tags that I just put yeah. into the binding that have care instructions on them and everything because mm-hmm. I was like, I ain't never going to do a label. Like I just. I know. But wouldn't it be nice to have the history behind it? Like some quilts I have written like blog posts for, if they've got some sort of meaning behind them, you yeah. know, like I'm thinking about, I've got a um a quilt about, men- well, I call it my mental health quilt, but it's called um, Breaking Point, Let's Talk. Yeah. Um, and that has a lot of meaning behind it. I I barely scratched the surface on the blog post about it because it's personal. Felt it was necessary to document it in some way. And the optimist quilt, you can't see it. I'm looking at it above my screen here. Um, yeah. That has meaning to me as well. And so um, that has its own post because I think it's important, you know, to sort of document it. But, you know, if the internet disappeared, then that would disappear too, right? So maybe it should be labelled. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I no, don't. It. Yeah, I don't. And it cracks me up because in our in our patterns, we specifically the last step of all of our patterns is bind, put a label on it. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't do that bit, but I like to give the reminder to other people. Um, <laughs> but I do too like the idea of it being a mystery to some extent. Huh? Like I've told myself a whole story about the woman who made that quilt. And yeah, right, you've made up the story. Yeah, basically, and um, and I'm sure her actual life would be far more riveting than the story I've made up about it. <laughs> but I just, it has this kind of um, 
magic to it because I don't know anything about her. And yeah, I it's a really interesting I mean, you can navel gaze about anything, but I think there's this dichotomy between it's a handcrafted cottage industry passed down the thing that it did it did it. And then it is art. And so yeah. do we treat it like it's art or do we dismiss it because it's utilitarian? Do we like how do you marry those two things together? Again, Sam Hunter and I spend a lot of time yeah. talking about you know, these intellectualizing what it is. She, she and I walked around um, the Tate Modern in the summer when yeah. she was over. And, um, yeah, she is has a lot more knowledge about art history than I'll ever have. Um, and so it was quite enlightening walking around with, uh, with her because I would learn so much more than what's written on the bit of card yeah. next to the item, you know, so, yeah. <laughs> And that's one of the reasons we've gotten her in to do the London tour is because yeah. we wanted to tap into that that experience and that knowledge and and to offer people another perspective. And I think one of the things about the cruise is that it, it's an environment where you've got time to sit with other participants in, and learn their stories and even just pick up little things in passing. And, you know, like on the last one we did, I knew who was making stuff for their grandkids and I knew who, you know, had just lost their husband and I knew who had, you know, traveled the world when they were younger. And and you and it wasn't because you were like specifically going, so tell me about yourself. It was because in the making process, their lives unravel a little bit into what they're oh, making. We talk, don't we? We we yeah. talk when we make and it's um that's the lovely part of it, you know. Yeah. Yeah. It's just been it's been such a gift to have, you know, and we joke about the downsides and all of that, and they're like this compared to, you know, yeah, this bit. No, for sure. But it is just such a gift to be able to share with everybody. I think and have an impact and be able to help. I mean, I think, you know, the whole you were talking about my business earlier, and the whole um kind of ethos behind my business is to help quilters enjoy their hobby more and get more satisfaction from it. So less um, headache moments where things aren't going right, more amazing moments where they think, oh, I've done such a great job. I love this, you know. And, you know, the amount of messages that come in that are about how they have developed and how they have learned and progressed on within their hobby, even if they have already been doing it for years, is lovely. And so, you know, those are the messages that you need to listen to as a business owner, you know, is to know that you are having an impact and you are um, helping people enjoy, you know, that area of their creative life more. Yeah. you know, and helping them get more joy from that area. So, yeah. yeah. And 100 Days is the same. We have at the yeah. end people are like, oh, my mum passed away during it and so the blocks took on another meaning because that happened. Because yeah. three months, 100 days is like three and a half months and you kind of yeah. go, that's a significant chunk of, that's a quarter of someone's year and yeah. they have such a roller coaster of experiences. And so to get at the end and go, People have made quilts when they like they've been making blocks as they're ending their pregnancies, like and giving birth, and so that's 
they're transitioning into a new part of life or, yeah. you know, they've made this quilt as their retirement quilt. They've just started yeah. retirement and that's, and so they're transitioning in different parts. And, yeah. yeah. That's and a I great think, thing to do actually for retirement, isn't it? Oh. To have a project like that as a, you know, as a transition into it. I think that's a great thing to do. I've often wondered about doing, um, well, either your 100 day um, project or yeah. a, 100 day project because there's a whole thing around it yeah there's a whole thing about 100 days yeah and I I think about it and I think I don't know if I've got the staying power I don't know I don't have the staying power (laughs) I think that's one year I'd probably get to like 10 and then the next year I'd join in at like day 11 you know and (laughs) 11 to 20 and so on the first couple of years I was like I'm there every day like and then and I we touched on it briefly as a business owner as you get, because when I first started, I was like, oh, five people, five people will make this quilt, right? And the first year we had just under a thousand people. And I was like, okay, I'm prepared for this. And then, like, the third year, we had nearly 8,000 people signed up to do it. And I was oh like, God. I do not have the business capacity to handle this many people. And and I don't hide the fact that when our son, because I started quilting when our son, I got pregnant with our son through IVF in the beginner's quilt course from the lady who was lovely. Um, oh, yes. And so he's always been a part of it. And I had really severe postnatal depression that went untreated, depression and anxiety that went untreated for, I would say, he's what, 11 now, eight years. So, and at the time I was transitioning into having my business, like going from hobby to a business and then, you know, him and we were away from family and we were by ourselves and all that. Like it was just a lot. And so when 100 Days got big, I wasn't in a mental space to handle it or to do it. or, And so over the years, my finishing, 80 seems to be the magic mark for me. I get to about 80 and I'm like, I'm good. The last 20, I'm like, and so it's always been interesting to see how you, how that event goes when I peter out and then like other people power all the way through. One lady finished her quilt in the first 20 days and I was like, oh my gosh, (laughs) you can't finish. It's like, what are you going to do for the next 80? And so I don't go into that event going, you will finish all 100. I mean, it's amazing when you do and and there is such a sense of enjoyment. Remind me, each year, is it the same pattern and the same blocks or are there different blocks each year? So each year we we did, the first three years we did Chula Pink City Sampler um, because I wasn't publishing patterns at that point in time. And then the next three years we did Kinship, which I um, published myself with um, Guyberries. And then... We did, last year we did maple and eucalyptus, which has probably been, we talk about business development, the worst pattern I've ever had experience-wise because a number of things collided on that. And I I make it a point that when the pattern goes out to the world, it's been tech edited at least twice We've had at least two other pairs of eyes over it. If I allow three mistakes in a pattern at any time, that's my threshold for the pattern. Yeah, okay. Yeah. 
And with digital patterns, it's not a problem because the issue comes up and you go, all right, well, I'll go in, amend it, and then I send out a thing and go, the pattern's great. So by the end of it, the digital pattern's pretty much perfect. The printed pattern, I can't do anything about that. And once it's printed, it's printed. And I've got no way of going into every shop or every home or anything and going, oh, yeah, I just need to change this cutting measurement on block D. And maple and eucalyptus went through our normal process, but a couple of things were happening behind the scenes with people who were involved in that process. And for whatever reason, it just wasn't the best work that the group of us had done. And as the project leader, I take 100% responsibility for that. And so there's been issues with cutting measurements and stuff missing in that pattern that we've never had before. And that's been really difficult. I went into 100 Days last year really excited about making it. And because there was like problems in the first 10 blocks, it really sucked the wind out of my sails. And so I really struggled and like to the point where I can't even look at the pattern without feeling it'll pass it'll pass right so the reason um, I was asking was because I was thinking if you do the same pattern each year right or the same blocks each year um obviously they could be arranged differently right to make a different quilt but if you did like one year you did it in a certain order and then the following year you completely flipped it on its head. It means that all the people that just started off really well and then petered out could finish. <laughs> could finish quilting next year. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, funny you should say that because we had. So this gets back into the business space again. We do run a business, right? So we make money off the sale of that pattern. We make money off the sale of the accoutrements that go with it, and that's how we support offering the free event, essentially, and. We got a business coach mentor who, you know, there comes a certain point in a business where you know everything you know and you can't see the forest for the trees. And so getting the third party in was really good. And when we went through all the feedback that we had collated about the event and everything, he said to us, why do you only do it once a year? And I'm like, it's a massive undertaking, dude. Like, how am I going to do it more than once? And he went, well, you've clearly got people saying, I want to do it, but the time doesn't suit me right now. And you've got clearly got people saying, I finished it. I want to do another one. What's going on here? And your business is structured around one event. And so for the longevity of your business, you can't have nothing, nothing, nothing. Whoa, nothing, nothing, nothing. It would be, from a systems point of view, it would be easier to put a system in place where you were like, this all the time instead of. And so he floated an idea which, and I don't know whether you and your husband are like this. Do you ever have that thing where you're, you've got, you're going through something and your husband goes, you should do this. Or actually, it's more the, the other way around in our house. He's struggling with something and I go, you should do this. And he ignores it. And then he's like, I got this. And I'm like, you should do this. And he ignores it. Then he goes to work and the dude that sits beside him goes, oh, you should do this. And it's the same thing I said. And he goes, oh, yeah, I should do that. And then he comes home and goes, I've had this genius idea. I'm going to do. And I'm like, I've been saying that. Well, my circle of friends were always saying to me, you should do more than one a year. And then when we went to the business coach, he went, your audience wants 
a challenge and it wants this moment. And so next year we're doing three in a year. And so we're kicking off on the 1st of January, which is a great time because everyone's gung-ho for New Year's resolutions. And my thing was when I looked at the dates, I was like, 1st of January is great because the school does it, the US presidency does it, but they focus on the first 100 years of your school or the first 100 years of a new presidency, um, 100 years, 100 days. And so uh, the first 100 days of a year are really special and they shape the rest of the year for a lot of people. And so we were like, well, if we run a 100 days event that kicks off on the 1st of January, by the 100th day of that year, they'll have a finished quilt top. And so they start the year with a win and they're more likely to get over that thing of, oh, I'm going to peter out. They're like, no, I'm sticking with my New Year's resolution. I've made it 50 days. I'll keep going, whatever. So we're doing kinship for the last time because this would be like my seventh time doing it from January 1st. And we picked it because it was, it's an easy, it's a beginner's easy, you know, there's only Mm -hmm. two units in it. It's really popular. Heaps of people seem to still be making it, which I'm really grateful for. It's a lovely quilt. It's a brilliant quilt. So, yeah. And it's it's um, versatile. Like you can do anything with it sort of thing. And we've got like now, I think we've got eight bonus layouts over the years. That we've I was going to say, and haven't you got like different sizes involved in that? It's like some with sashing and some without and stuff. Yeah. Um, and this year oh, yeah. we've got a new one coming a new layout, which I'm really excited about. So there's heaps that they can do in that space. Then the second one for next year, we're doing Make the Cut, which I wrote for Fussy Cutters. And when I launched it, I was deep in my mental health struggle. And so it's never, I felt like that quilt's never had its day. Like I kind of released it and then it got, buried and so we're going to do that second and it's all six and a half inch blocks and so but if you sash it it looks like a traditional sampler but if you don't put sashing in it and you put the blocks in the order and the fabric where it's supposed to go you get scissors giant scissors I love it it. I love that design it's so good I think you had it in the um in the patchwork calendar last year yeah yeah it was January I think but yeah 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 I loved it yeah um so we're going to do that in the middle and then I've just finished designing the third one. So we're going through that whole thing now where we're going to have to tech edit and publish and everything. But the third one, which I'm, do you do this? You get get a pattern and you design it and you're like, I really want to make that quilt, but I'm stuck doing. (laughs) So I print it out and stick it where I can see it. I go, this is your reward. If you make it through (laughs) all of this stuff, you can start working on that. but here's the funny thing, and we're we're batting around names for the quilt. Oh, it, name in a quilt is really hard. Yeah, yeah. And I tend to go to music all the time because music's my, like, favourite sort of thing. But it's supposed to have 100 blocks. It's only got 99. <laughs> <laughs> so- 99 red balloons? Well, I was going to do 99 problems. I got 99. Oh. Pro- I feel bad for you, son. I got 99 problems, but a block ain't one. <laughs> <laughs> we fixed it. It's now got 100. But it was Excellent. just so funny. It made it all the way through to the virtual quilt, the graphic designers drawing up the virtual quilt. 
and I had to go through and label all the blocks. And I'm like, I'm missing one. There's one missing. Oh and I sent God. it to her and went, I think I'm missing a block, but you count and let me know if I'm missing a block. And she comes back. She's really excited. She's like, you're not missing a block. You've got the same block in there twice. You've got an extra block. And I was like, yeah. That means I'm missing a block. <laughs> and like the slow mathematician, three days later, I send her a message and I go, no, no, still missing a block, but now I have to redesign a block because I still only have 99 spots. I just had two same box. <laughs> and people are like, why do you need a tech editor? That's why I need a tech editor because the math don't work for me. So, uh, yeah, it's been a really, but 99, 99. And we're watching Brooklyn 99 at the moment. And I was like, I could call the quilt nine nine, but it sounds like an angry German. No, no. You need to have a better name than that. Have you have you got not, not got a name yet, or have you got a name now? No, okay. like I said, ninety nine problems is still the one that that I'm kind of affectionately no. calling it. But it was a problem, and you did fix it. We did come up with a solution. <laughs> yep, but yeah, it's just well, it's solved. <laughs> Can't count. I thought about naming it after a, a great mathematician, like because, and then, yeah. But I'm just. It took three people to find that we were missing, <laughs> and like I it just, I'm not proud of that. Obviously, <laughs> the education system has failed us all, but I think that's the sort of thing that you just you get so caught up in the excitement of the designing of it and everything that sometimes you lose focus on the what you were the intention when you started but yes a bit like podcast interview kind of things they just kind of go like this <laughs> but it's really late for you and it's really early for me so we've been talking for ages and i thank you so much for your time you are welcome i look it's forward been to seeing isn't it yeah. Meandering yeah, yeah. around. <laughs> yeah. And it's um like I know it's really funny. You've always been there for me. Like always <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you, you know what? There's some people who started at the same time that you do yeah. that you just kind of go, Oh, they're just part of the the f- that industry and that Yeah, but it's um because this is the first time we've worked together. Yeah, we've kind of been in the same circles, haven't we, for other things. But, yeah, this is the first time we've actually, yeah. Yeah, and when we were looking at who we could invite, you were like on the thing of, oh, Joe, and it was because I knew you had been doing the Quilt Hive and the Free Motion online and I'd heard secondhand from people who'd done the course and stuff like that that they really loved it. Um, Oh, that's And so... Yeah, in our community, because that's what I say. It's a small community. So it made sense at that point to see whether you were available to come. Plus, you're British, and I'm like, you know, we've always <laughs> got to have a Brit. So Sam is also British, but living in America. Oh, but, you know what? You wouldn't know, you wouldn't know though, would you, with the accent? She's full-on American accent. She tries to say she's not, but, you know, it is. <laughs> it's really funny. At different times, like I love it to pieces, sometimes she's very Brit. British like she identifies really strongly (laughs) as being British and then other times she's like American but I don't even think she realizes (laughs) that she's American like it's just and I'm at what point she's no see 
I think Sam thinks like a Brit, but she talks like an American. <laughs> but there's some stuff she does these days where I'm like, oh, that's the American coming through in you. Um, She'll love listening to this. I know, I know. She's going to write me a very nasty SMS. <laughs> I, saw, I am not. Um, but yeah, yeah, and yeah. even... We've got a mix, haven't we? We've got a real mix on the cruise of different um, from teachers from different places. So, yeah. Yeah, because Teresa... Her handle is Teresa Down Under, but she's yeah. actually Spanish. She just happened to be yeah. living here. All the cool people live here at some stage. So she's Spanish, I'm Australian, you're British, and Steph's American, and then we got our little hybrid at the end uh, with mm-hmm. Sam. So it's a really interesting mix of experiences and skill sets and travel. And But, yeah, yeah. I'm really excited about yeah, it. So... God willing, I will see you in Fort Lauderdale. Yes, definitely. And we'll be hopping on that bus and going to do the shop hop. Yeah. The craziness will start at the shop hop. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for listening to the Fussy Cutters podcast. Enjoyed listening? Why not subscribe so you'll never miss an episode? Did you know the quickest way to the heart of any podcaster is to leave a review or recommend the podcast to a friend? It's true. It is. Until next week, get out there and fondle that fabric.